The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. This informative and entertaining show will start your mornings off on the right foot. Here's your host, Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone. Good morning. Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. I am Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone here on Voice America Variety with my co-host, Lauren Beller-Blake. Lauren, how are you this morning? Good morning, Catherine. I'm doing well at my desk, ready to start a new day. Well, you're going to start a new day with two of our guests. We've got two guests on the show today, two very different guests. Uh, The first one is Christine Pearson. Christine Pearson is the author of The Cost of Bad Behavior, and she talks about bad behavior at work in civility and how that ruins or can ruin or destroy businesses. So uh, a topic I think most of it, at least I've been exposed to, anybody who's worked in a situation where you've had to work for a company, don't you think? Or Absolutely. In a, yeah. Good topic. And so you've got to do something uh, from the top down and the bottom up as well. Then next, Adrian Colesbury. Don't know if you've heard of him, Lauren, but he is the author of How to Make Love to Adrian Colesbury. So I don't know if you want to make love to him or not, but he's going to tell you how you can make love to your partner, your husband. It's all about... Um, Sex. From a man's perspective. From a man's perspective. I knew you would say that. <laughs> Men and women, totally different perspectives, right? Yes, absolutely. I always love to hear a man's perspective. It helps me understand. I know. You're always waiting to see if you can get a tip. Exactly. It's, well, here's a tip, because there's a book out for you, and it's called Your Man is Wonderful. I don't know if you like that topic. <laughs> <laughs> Your Man is Wonderful. Are they trying to convince us? It's... Your man is wonderful. Just think about it. He is. And the author of the book is Dr. Noelle Nelson. She's a clinical psychologist and a relations expert. Uh And specifically, she deals with, in this book anyway, what to do if your husband is not a mind reader. Because don't you think we do expect men to be mind readers, that they should understand, they should know what we want? I definitely think that's true. All right. Give me an example when you... Are disappointed in Rob because he doesn't re- he can't read your mind. I mean, you expect him to respond in a certain way, and he doesn't. You think that he already knows. Why doesn't he know he should do such and such? Give me an example, because then I'm going to tell you what Doctor Nelson. Says. <laughs> <laughs> You're so funny. All right. So last night, um, I'm on the couch doing some work with my laptop, which is very typical for me at the end of an evening to do a little bit of catch up. And he's in his office doing a little bit of closing up his office because he's leaving early this morning. And he says, so are you going to bed? And I looked at him like, uh, does it, do you have something else that you really want to say? <laughs> and? So, and, of course, that led to a, like, why don't you just say what you're asking? Like, what are you really asking, you know? So, yeah, I'm like, be, just be straight with me. What are, you, what are you asking me, really? Are you going to sleep? No, I don't know. Why, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm sitting here on the couch because you were doing that thing. So now what are you doing, you know? So, Lauren, so he could have been asking, do <laughs> you want to have sex? Are you exactly. going to stay up so we can have sex? Do you want to... Do you want to talk? Exactly. But I don't know what he was asking because he wasn't saying. Now, so he's taking the role of 
the actually that's more the female role, not saying what you want. Right. Well, that's yeah. But no, that's not female, is it? I'm so direct with what I want, and that's more masculine. Oh well, there you go. Yeah. I've always said that you and I have kind of these masculine tendencies. <laughs> not you know in that in that arena, kind of you know the not to we're not very romantic and not very kind of sweet. I, I don't know. Oh come on, I can be very romantic and sweet, Catherine. Yeah, but you you not. I don't think I don't see you as romantic and sweet. Now maybe I'm not saying you're not. You're projecting. Like you don't have you don't those vibes don't come across. <laughs> but I think about Lauren. I think of somebody who's affectionate, who's uh, somebody who will support you, but not in that kind of typical feminine way. Oh, that's true. So, but okay. So, but that's a good example. It, actually, it doesn't matter. You know who's. The one has who has to be the mind reader, but the point is, it doesn't work. You have it doesn't to, work, right? To communicate effectively, we need to be straight out. We need to be straight out. We don't, try, you know, manipulation, demanding are not good ways to communicate with our spouses, and that's what she talks about. And that we, it's that whole idea. She calls it magical thinking, like you know, somehow they should know what I'm thinking. And they don't, and then you get angry, and not just you, one gets angry, and then it sets up this whole dynamic that isn't good for the relationship, but that we do that all the time. You have to take responsibility for what you want, which is what you were saying to Rob. Take responsibility. Yeah. Uh, I mean, she gives examples like women particularly will say, you know, um, they like, you know, they like flowers. They like roses on their birthday. And then their husband goes out, and instead of getting them flowers or roses, something totally different. And instead of telling them what they want, they get mad, they give them the silent treatment. They they're not straight up with what they want so that so that they can you know get what they want. Um, but it's an issue. I think it is an issue with couples. You can um, you gave a good example. It's a really good example. It's so typical of our of our communications. And I guess so because I can be pretty direct, but I also do think I expect him to read my mind like could you? I do expect that. I do, and I, I realize that that's very egotistical and demanding. <laughs> and also, then you think that well, he doesn't love me if he doesn't if he doesn't know what I want, then he doesn't love me. And she says that's a terrible scenario to set up. So anybody who's listening, we're trying to help you with your relationship. Relationship. This will be a good one. Yeah, this is a good one. Doesn't mean he doesn't love me, love you if if he doesn't know what you're talking about because you haven't expressed yourself at me. It just means your spouse is not a mind reader. Exactly. Yeah. You need to tell him. Or they really to... need to hear what what you want. Yeah, exactly. Because I think and most people do want to please. They just don't know how. And then you have to reward them for it. She talks about, this is another thing that I don't do. Like, let's say Rob does do something that you like. How many times do you actually say, well, thanks, you know? I, do. I make a really important, conscientious effort to do that. You do? I really do. Because I think wife. in our world, we don't acknowledge... I think our acknowledgement level is just out the window. Yeah, mine is terrible. I think it's a really important trait to acknowledge and to acknowledge authentically. When I have an, like, I, re, I know yesterday I meant to acknowledge him for something and I still haven't. Well, I'll send him a text message so when he gets to his plane lands in three hours, he'll get it. Yeah. Because I think it's, like, really important to acknowledge the little things. Yeah. And the text message, that's another thing that Dr. Noel Nelson recommends. Text him, email him. Uh, write a list of things that you like about him. Write ten things down that you like about him, and then, you know, put them in, on your desk or you know beside your nightstand and look at them every day. And then tell him about it. 
Just make sure that it's part of your routine. And does she have a book for the opposite sex, for the guys to do for the women? Well, the guys, she (laughs) says, the way they communicate, they're more demanding. They'll be demanding. If you don't do something or you don't understand something or you haven't responded, and they'll, like, demand it. They'll get angry. They tend to get more demanding rather than just communicating in a more civil way. So women expect men to be mind readers in terms of, what they have to try to figure out what the woman wants, and men tend to be, say things in a very demanding way. Mm. Get my dinner. <laughs> That's not real effective. No, they don't usually get what they want when they speak like that. No, and many, and so that's how she. But anyway, the, so the book is for both. Interesting. Yeah, that, and you can go to her website. It's called, or you can go to her blog spot. A note from Dr. Noel. Blog blogspot.com, or you can go to just drnoel.com, and there's all kinds of information because she's written several books. Anyway, so did that help you with your relationship? We're trying to do that. Yes. It's always good to know that you're not the only one experiencing those frustrations. It's always good. I think it's important not to feel like you're by yourself in a situation. Yeah, so you have to share. Do you share with your girlfriends? Oh, yeah, I'm good at that. I'll call, like, I went for a walk the other morning, and I said, could I just have the first two minutes of this walk to vent, and then it's done, you know? But do you feel like if you're venting about your husband, like something that went wrong, either just something, well, in the bedroom or there's topics, I mean, do you feel like you're exposing him or her? I mean, sometimes I always felt it was easier, especially when my kids were younger, not now, but I would talk about the kids or my frustrations, but when it came to my husband, maybe that's why I'm divorced, I, I always <laughs> felt like maybe I'm just exposing him and it's not fair and he's an adult. So I always had that kind of trepidation about sharing those kinds of things with girlfriends. What about you? I share, but I do share like I pick and choose who share, who hears what, definitely. But I definitely, for my own sense of peace, I have to share sometimes. Yeah, otherwise you're just going to blow your stuff. Yeah, I get frustrated. Yeah. Yeah, that's why group therapy is so great. It, I imagine it probably is. I've never been in group therapy, but I do, you know, group coaching, which I think is very similar. You know, it's not therapy, but it's coaching, and I think groups are so powerful. Yeah, group, they are. I mean, and yeah, either whether it's a coaching situation, which is, you know, more related to, to business, but still that group support or even somebody in, in different, that whole different people, you get so many different perspectives from people, whether it's running your business or just group therapy. I've I've done you know, both, but I, I just, I think group therapy for, um, sometimes in conjunction with individual therapy is really the way to go. Well, to I think, I agree with that, and I think that um, when you expose yourself to a group that you realize that there's less right and wrong in the world. It, yes, because don't we get into, and I was talking to my girlfriend about this the other day, like this. She thinks there's a right way to do things, and she was talking about that. I mean, that she learned from her mother the right way to do things. Exactly. There's no right way to do things. Exactly. There are good values. I mean, and that's those are very general. You know, you're honest, you're kind, you work hard, you take care of your family. But those, but how you accomplish those values, how you get to that point, can be are very different. Very different for. Families are very different, and couples are very different. And I think that's what it's easy to get hooked into, like, I know the right way. And I think that that's such a um, – we grow into that new perspective of there's no right way. And I, I can tell you that I was – I absolutely thought there was right and wrong way for years and years and years. 
And more and more, the older I get, the more I see that, you know, there's no right way. Well, I'll give you an example, and you haven't gotten there yet, but and I keep bringing up my boys, but the three boys, and they've done well, they've gone to good schools, they're into their careers. But I have several friends, and they can say the same thing for their children, and we raise them very differently. Yeah. And, and, and so I, and you can see it. As we're raising the children, we all think we know the best way, what time they should go to bed, what clothes, what school, what camp, what, you know, all, you know, how they should relate to their relatives, all that stuff. You know what? We all did it differently, and they all turned out fine. I saw a great quote the other day, something like, we're each the most unique, because of our experiences, you know, we've all had different teachers in school, we've had different aunts, different uncles, different grandparents, and because of that, each person's effect from other people, we become very different. Like, there's no two people the same because of our experiences. I thought and that who would want great. it? I mean, would you like another me? <laughs> <laughs> what would Barry say? <laughs> no. 30 seconds to go. Lauren Beller-Blake, Catherine Zox, Voice America Variety. You are listening to us this morning, and we're going to take a short break, but we will be back, and uh, we're going to be talking to Christine Pearson coming up, and she's the author of The Cost of Bad Behavior, and we're talking about in the workplace. Um, I don't hear any music, so it's really difficult for me to know. (laughs) There we go. Okay, we'll be back in a minute. Thank you. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. If you want to put the pep back in your step, Chad Lafferty says just what you're looking for. Dance is life. Life is dance. It's only about dance. It's about moving through life with style, gaining awareness of the never-ending, ever-flowing movement that accompanies all of life's activities. Dance is life. Life is dance. Broadcast every Saturday morning at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Radio Network. Be sure to tune in and tap into the limitless healing that dance can provide. Can't stop now. Are you ready to go green? You've asked, and we've heard you. Voice America presents the Green Talk Network. Environmental topics are at the forefront of our society, and the Green Talk Network is here to keep you up to date on the latest trends and new innovations for the eco-conscious lifestyle. We'll help promote a variety of ideas on the environment, from global warming issues to how you can become more eco-friendly in your daily activities. Be a part of the solution, not the problem. Visit the Green Talk Network page on voiceamerica.com and tune in to help spread the green. Emotional intelligence has been documented to be the most important skill for a leader to move up in an organization. Leaders Playbook will unpack what emotional intelligence is, why it is important, and how you can raise your emotional intelligence for yourself, your direct reports, and your team. Join Dr. Relly Nadler every Monday morning at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern to the Leaders Playbook on the Voice America Business Channel. Your success, your success could depend on it. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time, the number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. 
We're back. I'm Catherine Stockton, a social worker with a microphone with my co-host, Lauren Deller-Blake, and you're listening to VoiceAmericaVariety.com this morning. Joining us this morning is our first guest, Christine Pearson. She's the co-author with Christine, another Christine, Porath, and they're the authors of The Cost of Bad Behavior, How Incivility is Damaging Your Business and What to Do About It. Now, here's a little opening. Mother may have taught you to mind your manners at the dinner table, but... What about at the office? You chew with your mouth closed, although I know a lot of people who don't, yet interrupt coworkers, keep your elbows off the table, yet text messaging during meetings. How many of us have been witness to that? And avoid curse words in front of relatives, yet use a condescending tone with colleagues. This is dubbed incivility. Such behavior has become common. Don't we all know that? Even tolerated in the workplace. But... Incivility is a plague on your business, says Christine Pearson. It spreads stress, smears reputations, reduces productivity, and raises employee turnover, which is not a good thing when you're thinking about the bottom line. One company, Cisco Systems, estimates that it lost a whopping $8 million a year. That's a lot of money due to incivility. So what's an organization to do? You have to call on Christine Pearson. She is a professor of management at the Thunderbird School of Global Management. Her research has been featured on national network and cable TV, publications such as Harvard Business Review. She lives in Phoenix, Arizona. Welcome to the show, Christine. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. I'm delighted to be with you, Catherine. All right, great to have you on the show this morning. Okay, how is incivility damaging our businesses. Tell us what, you know, and the cost, obviously, the cost of this incivility, the cost of the bad behavior. Um, start with, well, you start. How is it, what is it doing? How is it impacting our businesses so that companies are losing millions of millions of dollars every year? Well, uh, the, the big picture is that it reduces productivity. So, um, people are less creative when they're treated uncivilly. They're less willing to cooperate and go the extra mile to help their colleagues. Uh, they're distracted mentally. Uh, they waste time worrying about the next incident if they have somebody who has treated them badly. Uh, they don't, um, they don't collaborate as well on teams. Uh, sometimes the whole team's effort will be lost worrying about what's going on for this particular individual team member. Uh, if somebody's been treated badly. So there's just, as you said, you know, whopping costs that are attached to this. All right, so, Christine, how do we avoid this? Now, you've mentioned, uh, obviously, several things that are, are bad for business, but both, of, maybe before we get to this point, because this is what you talk about in the book, you actually provide tips on how to recognize this incivility during the interview process, so hopefully you don't hire those employees in the first place. Right, right. You want me to, shall I talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, one thing is, before you even get to the interview stage, to do a, as thorough a background check as you can. And I know uh, from talking to human resources experts in the audience and so forth, sometimes I'll get a pushback and people will say, well, you know, all we can get is their name and their date of employment if we call the former employers. But what we find is companies that are really serious about controlling incivility or, or curtailing incivility uh, will make those network sort of connections. So they'll get their employees to uh, talk to friends that they have in the company or colleagues they have in the company to find out more about this person and what it's like to work with this person on a day-to-day basis. Uh, once you get somebody to the interview stage, 
uh, it's important not only to listen to what they say about all their own wonderful attributes, but to get them to uh, anchor them to behavioral things that they've actually done. So if somebody says, you know, they're very, oh, they're a wonderful collaborative coworker and they want to work for your company because they, they do such a good job cooperating with people, well, right off the bat, ask them to talk about specifics around that, uh, around behaviors. You know, why do they think that they're so cooperative? What is it that they've done and so forth? So that can help a little bit. I mean, it's amazing. Uh, I, I'm always astounded to look at the statistics on how few companies actually do any background checks before they interview people or before they hire people. Um, and, again, you can push it a little further than just getting dates of employment uh, if you fully use your network of employees um, and, you know, let them talk informally to others in the companies that this individual has worked in before. One last point on this, it's particularly important if the individual you're hiring is going to have people who are reporting in to him or to her. Um, that's where incivility can be its worst um, because you, you can have an effect um, that cascades down throughout the organization as people look up to this individual as a role model. So, Christine, what you're saying is there are red flags, I mean, and you just have to be aware of what those red flags are. Yeah, you do. And, it, you know, it's, it's again, uh, one of these gut feelings where if you have a sense when you're interviewing somebody, if you have a sense that something just isn't clicking, you know, pay attention to your gut. Do some more research on this person. Uh, the other thing that we recommend certainly is do have multiple people within your organization um, do the interviews uh, and then compare what you felt. And, again, if you if anybody in the, the uh, group that's done the interviews feels like something's just not quite right, uh, do some e- more research before you hire this person if you want to try to make sure you don't get somebody in your organization who's liable to, to cause harm that way. Christine, how often do companies do that? Because that seems like a great idea to do that, to have multiple interviews with multiple people. And, and then if one doesn't identify certain red flags, somebody else is certainly going to do that. Because you do talk about um, in the book and you, that there are companies who do do it right. And I assume you, I mean, you're, you examine, what, five corporations who have it all, uh, who have done it right, who do it right. At one time they were doing it wrong. Um, and you identify those. So I, I assume these are the kinds of things that they do before they hire somebody in, in their interviews. Yes, that's true. And, and again, uh, you know, I couldn't give you a number in terms of stats, but I can tell you that it's by exception that companies uh, do interviews across uh, multiple people, you know, that they have somebody who's a candidate talk to multiple people within the organization. Um, they'll do that sometimes where, you know, it's the HR rep and it's the direct boss. Um, what I'm talking about is going broader than that. So, uh, you know, let the potential candidate uh, talk to some people who will be colleagues. Um, and, again, it, it's, it's not uh, an anomaly, but it's by exception that companies do that. And it can really make a difference because, again, you know, you're listening to different answers to different questions and you can then pull the opinions of the people who've done the interviews and and go from there. So, Christine, it doesn't matter whether it's a large corporation or a smaller company, maybe an entrepreneurial kind of business, but you can apply these um, tactics to to all types of companies and all sizes of companies. That's absolutely true, yes. And, in fact, you know, as we've looked at incivility now for more than a decade, uh, we've looked at companies from uh, the tiniest size, you know, one or two um, proprietors to it, up to the largest companies uh, and the federal government, for that matter, so <laughs> above and beyond. Uh, so, 
yeah, the size, you know, incivility can affect you negatively uh, regardless of the size. We're often asked as well, like, what's the worst industry? Um, and, again, it, it really cuts across industries and across job functions. What's the best company? You mentioned some of these companies like Cisco Systems, Starbucks, Microsoft, all good companies, all all companies that are kind of following your directives or, you know, what you suggest in the book. So those are the good ones. Um, and as you say, they weren't always doing it the right way before. So talk to us about what else do they do? What else do they so that, you know, I assume you also, if you're going to have a company where they practice civility as opposed to incivility, that the head of the company has to set some kind of an example, kind of like parents setting examples for children. Because when you have a boss who's not civil or a CEO or the president of the company, it seems to trickle down, doesn't it? Yes, uh, you've hit it right on the head there. Uh, again, the problem is if, it, well, first of all, we find about uh, three times out of five, about 60% of the time, incivility is top down. So it's from someone who's at a higher position treating somebody badly who's at a lower position, about three times out of five. But it doesn't need to be the direct boss. Um, and if you think about it from the perspective you were just uh, sharing, when uh, someone's at a higher level, we have a natural tendency to look to that person as a role model. And unfortunately, what we find in some organizations, people, when they uh, look up to someone who's uncivil, they will very often attribute that person's success to this bad behavior. So you can start a cycle in the company that just has horrible negative repercussions. Um, to your question in terms of, uh, you know, what to do about it and watching at the highest level, um, certainly the people, if, if your company or if you and your company are serious about uh, keeping things civil, um, one of the very first things to do is take a look in the mirror and make sure that you're behaving in a civil way uh, and also get your senior uh, managers together and sort of, you know, do a, a quick scorecard that way with each other and make sure, you know, talk about it within your executive ranks to make sure everybody in that group is behaving civilly. Yeah, great uh, the other thing, I want to know, sort of to ra- uh, wrap things up, uh, give us an example, like a worst ca- the worst case that you've, you know, you've been talking or working in, in, in this field or dealing with this issue in the workplace for what you said about 10 years now. What's the worst case that you've come across in terms of incivility and how did you, how was it handled so that, it, you know, it had a good ending? Um, the worst case scenario, it's the same one, again, regardless of size and so forth, and it's dramatically bad case, which is you've got somebody in the organization who's seen as a superstar or may, in fact, be a rainmaker bringing in a great deal of money for the organization, uh, and you just sort of forgive the incivility and say, well, that's just the way he is or she is, and we're going to let that, you know, go on. We'll let that person keep behaving that way. Again, in the worst case, there are people who report into this individual. Where we've seen this turned around in best-case scenarios is that the person is brought to task for it and is warned and told, you know, this behavior is no longer acceptable. If you don't correct it, um, we're going to take whatever measures. In some companies, they'll say, you know, you're, you're out of here, you're fired. And in best-case scenarios, since you're asking for that, the person actually changes his or her behavior. I mean, it is absolutely possible to change one's behavior. Um, and sometimes, best-case scenario, it's a situation that the person just doesn't realize what the negative repercussions are, which is the reason we've written the book. So we're hoping more and more recognize that. Yeah, great book, and want to mention it again because we've got a minute to go, The Cost of Bad Behavior, How Incivility is Damaging Your Business, and What to Do About It. Christine Pearson and Christine Porath. And you can buy the book online, bookstores everywhere, and give us a website we can go to as well, Christine. 
Uh, sure, it's, that's an easy one. It's thecostofbadbehavior.com. All right, great. Wonderful having you on the show. Lots Thank of great you. advice for leaders and CEOs and employees as well. So uh, go out and get the book, The Cost of Bad Behavior. Thanks so much. My pleasure. Thanks a lot, Catherine. Bye-bye. Lauren and I are going to be back in a minute, and we have our next guest coming up, so we don't want you to go away. Our next guest is Adrian Colesbury. How to make love to Adrian Colesbury. If you all wondering how to make love to him, I don't know. I haven't. But anyway, I'm Catherine Sox with Lauren Deller-Blake on VoiceAmericaVariety.com. We'll be back in a minute. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Go inside the world of PR with PR Insider, hosted by public relations expert Maureen Kettis. Maureen will speak to the world's highest profile PR pros from the fields of marketing, advertising, and sales. And PR Insider will feature renowned members of the media as special guests. Maureen will give you a VIP access pass, including tips and tricks to take your business to the next level. PR Insider with Maureen Kettis, sponsored by Cision, us.cision.com. Listen every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Network. Is it really true that nearly half of all marriages end in divorce? Get the answers to this and other questions about relationships on Relationship Radio with Jim Duzak. The program's devoted to marriage, divorce, midlife dating, and men-women relationships in general. Jim and his guest experts will have plenty of information, insights, and advice for you, all as part of a lively and wide-ranging discussion about today's relationships. You can listen Friday afternoons at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern, for Relationship Radio with Jim Duzak on Voice America. Inside all of us lives a warrior. We win battles with our careers, our finances, our children, our pets. It's time that the warrior within wins the battles with our own being. Modern-day Renaissance man Ori Hoffmeckler dispels eating urban legends and fitness myths in Voice America Network's The Warrior Within. Your guide to nutrition, energy, sex, and survival. Ori sets the record straight and will help you become leaner and healthier for a lifetime. The Warrior Within broadcasts live every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific on The Voice. America Health and Wellness Channel. Tune in for your guide to nutrition, energy, sex, and survival. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Listening to the Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll free number is 866 472 5788. That number again is 866 472 5788. Back, I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a, a microphone with my co host Lauren Deller Blake, and you're listening to VoiceAmericaVariety.com. Joining us is our second guest this morning, Adrian Colesbury. Adrian Colesbury. Adrian is the author of How to Make Love to Adrian Colesbury. Now, uh, and you can go to adriancolesbury.com if you want more information. Um, he has a degree in biomedical engineering, which is seen by many as a common pre-med major. 
Uh, does that make you a sex expert? Not quite, but what if along with your degree you had sex a lot? Well, I guess Adrian's had a lot of sex. Not like a nymphomaniac, but someone who is sexually active and educated enough to observe and understand both sexes, common likes and dislikes between the sheets. Many individuals are too insecure, this is so true, and timid to discuss what sexually turns them on and off. I would say that's probably most people, at least in the United States. However, Adrian Colesbury, author of How to Make Love to Adrian Colesbury, and scholar of biomedical engineering, is far from shy. Uh, he has spent year, 10 years in the pharmaceutical industry, now works as a movie extra, I've done that as well. We have to talk about that. And stand-up comic in Los Angeles where he does volunteer work teaching sex ed to high school students. Welcome, Adrian. Thank you. Glad okay, so we can, we can, as you said as when we were talking before we came on the air, we can be real serious about this or it can be funny, but I think this is a real problem. I, 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 I'm not so sure how funny this topic is because I think that most couples, and you know, whether they are... Uh, well, I was going to say whether they're married, whether they're monogamous relationships, whatever the relationship is, they have difficulty. I think sex is a, is a difficult topic to talk about in the United States, and because of that, people will just go, uh, from a social work perspective, will go on and on in their relationships and not try to do anything about it if their sex life is unsatisfying. What do you think? Well, I, I think that's exactly it, and I think one of the takeaways of the book that, that I feel is definitely there is is in monogamous relationships, which is basically what I am in in the book, a series of monogamous relationships. The thing that I learn from the uh, women I'm with um, is to to take continue to take those risks, and I think that's what's difficult in a monogamous relationship. You get close to someone... You're staring at this person in bed. That's the person you hope they think you're honorable. You you have all these, uh, you rely on them in a million ways. And so to take some kind of outrageous sexual risk that you really want to take, that risk becomes less and less acceptable. And so I think we kind of tend to, in monogamous relationships, pull away and tuck in and hide our fantasies away and hide our preferences away instead of having license or feeling the license to take them out. And that's really what I learned from a lot of the women in the book is, is, is take those risks. All right, so if you're with your man or your partner and you're suggesting take those risks, don't pull away, don't be shy, you know, express what you want, how do you actually go about doing that? How do you do that? I and it's How do just you do the it? examples in the book. It's the examples in 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 the book from the women. I I learned it from the women I was with, which is which is cordon off the bedroom as a safe play space. Understand between both partners that whatever happens in the bedroom, none of it. Once you walk out into the out of the bedroom, you're you're completely the same people you were before. So to give an example, I had a girlfriend. She was very feministic, a very feminist woman. And one day, she pitched herself over my lap and said, spank me. <laughs> and so this is something she very much wanted to play with. And so we played with that a lot, and it was fantastic. But for her to take that risk, she needed to know that I was going to drop that as soon as we left the room, which, of course, I did. So she had to trust you. I mean, there's this whole issue of trust, trust that yes. you're going to drop it, that you accept you, her for who she is when you're having sex or when you're in the bedroom, and then let it go once you walk out the door. So let that whole go. issue of trust comes up in terms of 
your partner, right? It certainly does. Trusting your partner, and I think even more so trusting yourself. I think I think we don't trust ourselves when we have little fantasies or little preferences. Some people, I don't even think they have any idea what their fantasies or real preferences are because they just won't let them surface. They feel them coming up, and I think we push them down. Like, I can't want that. That's not a right thing for me to want. And they've been told, depending on what kind of a family background they come from, you know, this is... Oh. Even if they're, even if women are feminists, they, you know, they, it's, it's, you know, this, that's not a nice, you know, I don't want to say good girls aren't supposed to do that, but you're not supposed to have these thoughts, you're not, you know, and you're not supposed to be doing these kinds of things, and there's all that kind of stuff, I think, that gets the shoulds and shouldn'ts that get in the way, the shoulds and shouldn'ts of how you're supposed to have sex, and if it's, and there really aren't any, if it works no. for both of you and, and no one's getting hurt, you can do what you want. Absolutely. The, the example I always point to, is um, the, the statistic I have read is that 80% of the women in chat rooms are men. And some people point to that and say, oh, those are guys just having a laugh and they're getting it over on other guys and they're just laughing. And I think that's ridiculous. I don't think anybody would spend that much time for a stupid prank on someone they don't even know. I think men don't get a chance to be submissive in life you know, or in their sexual situations because they think, oh, this is something I can't do. It's something I can't do at all. And so that's an, a safe outlet for them to to express those feelings and those desires. And yeah, stuff. I think that's a big issue. I'm glad you brought that up because men are supposedly supposed, they're supposed to be virile. They're supposed to have, you know, keep an erection for hours. I mean, oh, I'm exaggerating. Right. So there are all these expectations that come into the bedroom, and you're saying, and you say it in the book, just stop. You don't have though. You know that's not necessarily true. It you know you 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 know get get rid of all those expectations. But then one I want to cover one other thing because you talk about the physical nature of sex and the mental connection between both partners, uh, which is important. But that men and women are sort of hardwired differently sexually, and this creates a problem because women in their twenties. Uh, or men in their 20s, they want to have sex all the time, and women don't, and then women in their 30s want to have sex all the time, and men don't because they're into commitment and security. So the roles get reversed, and we're never on the same page at the same time. What do we do? Too true. Yeah, too true. I, I mean, I, I mean, I definitely, I definitely think that's a factor. In, uh, in, in fact, in the the pre fans of this book that contacted me over the internet were all women my age, basically my peers. I'm 44 years old. Women uh, around my age who had gotten to a point in their life where they're like, "Oh my God, I really just want to have sex," and my partner is not delivering in the way that I want. So then, what happens? What do we do about that? Because I think that that. That I, I've seen that, and I'm older than you are, and it's and it's interesting. And I'm, you know, I'm a, a baby boomer, and it doesn't seem like we've made any progress because that's all, that that the same issue continues. It's the same thing. Women finally in their 30s decide, you know what? Hey, I'm just, you know, they are open. They've had children. They've had experiences. They've been in the workplace, and they're not so concerned about doing the right thing, and that includes right. in the bedroom. So they're ready to go, and. Uh, so when the men are tuckering out, yeah, that so point. we need to help them. We need to have couples so that you know this kind of role reversal doesn't permeate the bedroom. What do we, you know, how do we change that? I don't know. I mean, I think the new generation, because I do teach sex ed, I think the new generation might deal with it a little bit better. Okay, how? Because you do. You said you teach sex ed at Planned Parenthood. What's the stuff that comes up? What are the, you know, I know people. Are, 
what let's talk about first what lack of information or wrong information and then what they're doing right in terms of this generation. Well, I mean, the 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 lack of information is kind of. I, I think America is gripped. I think the the concept of sex that was projected by the the very popular movie, the forty year old virgin, is that perfectly captured the American concept of sex, which is this kind of abstinence only style concept, where where those guys had forty dates, they could have done anything in those forty dates, but they didn't give each other a massage, they didn't. Uh, they didn't uh, make out. They didn't get to third base with each other. They just didn't do anything. And then they, in the 40th date, they fell into vaginal intercourse. And that was, and, and I don't know if you remember that scene, but he prematurely ejaculated for the premature ejaculation joke. And then yep. in the next, uh, <laughs> and then they went, and then he went for two hours. So this is kind of the image of American sex. And it yeah. goes back to the insecurity you were talking about. Like a man feels like, oh, my God, I have to be able to pound a woman for two hours, and that's exactly what all women want. And I tell you the truth, in the book you'll see I I do happen to, to last a long I'm very nervous, and so it's hard for me to um, climax at first with a woman. Uh-huh. And um, I end up lasting for a long time, and I can tell you the truth, women do not like that. Maybe the first or second time they might be like a little bit impressed about it, but after that they're just like, dude, I want to watch TV (laughs) at some point. This cannot, really, this cannot go on all night. I had plans. And so... And so the 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 thing is is that I think the kids do suffer from that like not seeing sex is a nuanced thing that involves a lot of other physical activities not just inserting a penis into a vagina or or wherever else you're going to insert it. Um but the thing they're doing better is they are um I think the the issue of shame with sex is not as pronounced in their generation as it was in mine at least. All right, that's a good thing. That's a really good thing. And really good. And yeah, it makes me think they can save themselves from the idiocy of thinking that vaginal sex is the only sex around. Yeah, no, I think that getting rid of the shame, and I think you're so right, that probably covers, I mean, uh, the, the whole issue of shame, I think, sort of is the blanket over the sexual activity, that puritanical sexual mm-hmm. Activity. Or I always say Victorian. I think the Puritans were better off than the Victorians as you far do? as sex is concerned. <laughs> the Puritans, you could, if you, in the Puritan age, you could divorce someone for not having sex with you. Oh, well, then you know more from a historical perspective. I didn't realize that. You could yeah. both, And it worked both ways? I mean, a, a, yeah. Well, yeah, it was equal in terms of men and women. They could. Yeah, a wife could complain. I mean, obviously there was no equality in terms of men and women, but a wife could complain to a local magistrate and say, hey, my my guy can't can't get it up. And they would actually, <laughs> I think this was at European courts, they would do a test where they would get a woman in to bear her breasts and, and, well, uh, no wonder and, there was pressure. I mean, you probably, I mean, you just said it. I mean, if you were going to go to jail because you couldn't have an erection, and right. that's when I go to jail, you just lose lose your woman. Oh, you, that's it. You have, <laughs> that's pressure. But uh, it, it, it's actually if you if you couldn't get an erection, then she couldn't divorce you because it wasn't your fault. But if you could get an erection, but you weren't getting an erection for her, then she had a complaint. Uh, where can I look this up? I'm really interested. You know what? I'm going to source this for you and get it to you. I read it years ago, and I and I I I can't I can't figure I can't remember where the source was, but I read it years ago. But I'll I'll get this to you. 
All right, great. Uh, but I want to get your book to everybody, so let's, because we have, we've got 30 seconds to go, so okay. we have to, we're going to say goodbye to Adrian Colesbury. He's author of How to Make Love to Adrian Colesbury, and you can go online to his website, can't we, adriancolesbury.com? adriancolesbury.com, and the book site is How to Make Love to adriancolesbury.com. Love it. Thanks so much for being on the show this morning. Thank you, Catherine. Thank you, Lauren. Thank you. Bye. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back in a minute. Captain Fox, Lauren Beller, VoiceAmericaVariety.com. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Total career success. What does it mean to you? Voice America presents a radio program dedicated to help you achieve your career goal. Even in times of economic uncertainty, you can achieve your financial goals. Whether you're a college grad, new in the working environment, or a top-level executive, you will benefit from the practical and proven advice on job search and career advancement. Join Ken and Cheryl Dawson every Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, for Total Career Success on Voice America. Are you ready to go green? You've asked, and we've heard you. Voice America presents the Green Talk Network. Environmental topics are at the forefront of our society, and the Green Talk Network is here to keep you up to date on the latest trends and new innovations for the eco-conscious lifestyle. We'll help promote a variety of ideas on the environment, from global warming issues to how you can become more eco-friendly in your daily activities. Be a part of the solution, not the problem. Visit the Green Talk Network page on voiceamerica.com and tune in to help spread the green. Want to have behind-the-scenes access to some of the greatest minds of today? On Shift in Action, we feature leading-edge innovators who are building a more conscious, sustainable, and healthy culture. Host Stephen Dynan offers live shows with evolutionary leaders such as Deepak Chopra, Van Jones, and others who are creating new paradigms for conscious living. You can keep your finger on the pulse of the latest frontier work with our weekly transmission of inspired wisdom on Shift in Action, broadcast live every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time on Voice America. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. Lauren Deller Blake, Catherine Zoxman, VoiceAmericaVariety.com. And we're talking sex. Because uh, <laughs> our last guest was Adrian Colesbury, and he's author of How to Make Love to Adrian Colesbury, which is all about sex and men and women and how they do it and how they don't. And you can go to his website, AdrianColesbury.com, if you want more information. Um, and you can listen to the show. Uh, if you haven't heard it this morning, now live, it's going to be archived this afternoon. So. Tell all your friends about it. But so Laura and I were talking sex. Everybody thinks that. I take that back. I take that back. I was going to say everybody thinks they're the sex expert, but I don't think so. I think people. There are those who think they're really that they know it all, and those who feel like they don't know anything. Exactly, I agree with that. Which one are you? Um, 
<laughs> I'm, a, I'm not an expert. I don't claim, proclaim to be a sex expert. And I don't think that at 44, I'm the same, I'm 43 actually. Um, I was hearing him say he was 44 and I was, I'm almost 44. So I do think at 43, you're not, a, you're not, you're not a naive person anymore about sex. So I, I'm not down the middle of the road. How about you? Are you an expert? I'm not an expert, but it, like you say, I've had a lot of experience. I wish exactly. I had more experience. I think the one thing that I regret is that I didn't have take more advantage because I'm a different generation, and in the 60s, women were only allowed to have sex. It was only socially acceptable to have sex before marriage when I got into college. So, you know, maybe there were a few years that I missed out on. <laughs> <laughs> So because, you're uh, you know, is. I always talk about, and I tell this to my boyfriend Barry. Now I'm telling everybody I don't care, but it was kind of like you know I had a, you know, my parents, my father. You know, you want to be a virgin when you get married, all that kind of stuff, and you'll regret it if you're not. I, I think I regret the opposite that I could have done more. That's so funny. I've never heard anybody say that. That's great. Yeah. In a responsible way. I'm not talking about you know sleeping with every man that I meet. Not that kind of thing. But I think I yes, I think I I regret. If, if because of what regret. purpose? What do you wish you, you just for the experience? With more uh, different kinds of men and different experience, you know, yeah. And what does Barry say about that? Well, he now he, you know, at first it's interesting. He used to be jealous. He didn't want to. This is I, I could not ever. He did not want to talk about my old boyfriends, and I was always like, "Tell me about your old girlfriends." Oh, like, we have what the same like? conversation. What did you do? Because I can learn from that. Exactly. You know, Rob is the same way. He doesn't want to talk about it. Yeah, what is it with it? See, men, I don't think they've gotten that far. I mean, we're talking about men from two different generations. I have all thing. kinds of questions, and I never get them answered because he doesn't want to talk about it with his past or my past. Yes, exactly. I have this. Now, I don't know, ladies, if you're listening, you can call us or you can email us, but you can call in at one eight six six four seven two five six. 787, because I'd like to hear what you have to say. Because you know what, Lauren, that would help. That helps. If you can talk about your past experiences and this sort of that intimate conversation with your partner about other people that you've been with, that can be a real turn-on. It could be, and it's helpful to understand what went well in a relationship and what wasn't going well. Exactly. Good conversation. And, and what their ex. Like what your partner's expectation is, because he could have been with Sue or Jane, or and they liked one thing, but you don't like that in terms of you know sexually. You want him to, to do something else. Uh huh. So it's true. It's good conversation. It's so funny. Now I'm curious. Do are there men out there that do want to have that conversation and are like really curious about, and vice versa, want to share? Come on, good I want to hear from those people. Are there guys out there who say, you know, tell me about your when you were with Bob? <laughs> I want to hear every detail. It really turns me on. <laughs> I want to know about those people for sure. I doubt it, but uh, who know? We, we need you to never hear know. Them. No, it's true. I don't think that men are able to do that. They still have that kind of. They feel threatened. They feel like you, not that they own their spouses or their partners, because I think we've gotten away from that. But there's still that kind of like paternal. Am I? part of the relationship or that they are threatened or they're threatened by another, the fact that you've been with another man? I don't know. I, I've also, it feels like a, something about protecting the other people. 
Like, he doesn't want to talk about the other females because that's, like, their thing. I don't know. Or maybe protecting us. I have no idea. Yeah, protecting the other woman, that's true. Uh, I, You know, I, I think that's part of it as well. But you're here in this relationship now. So let's say two people, we want to have the best sex we can have. How are we going to have the best sex we can have? Do people actually sit down and talk about it? Like Adrian said, you know, the bedroom is the bedroom. And everything you do in the bedroom, even if you're a feminist and that you want to be spanked, which is out of character, that's okay. But when you walk out the door... You have an equal relationship in terms of how you run the household, parent your kids. It's different than what you do in the bedroom. Yeah, he, that was exactly. I think that's a good point that he made. But it's difficult for couples to do that. It is difficult, but I do think there's a time and place. Like if you only can have that conversation in the bedroom, then have it in the bedroom. It's important conversation. Yeah. Or if you can have. Com- no, here's another one though. They, they, the sex experts would say. Uh, that you don't start setting up rules and regulations about sex once you are having sex in the bedroom because that ruins everything. Talk about the first way to to for erectile dysfunction. So you need to discuss that outside of the bedroom, right? Not to make the not to discuss the problem in the bedroom. Yes. Yeah, to discuss it. Well, I, that makes sense. Not when you're in the toxic situation, right. that's not a good idea. Well, that makes sense. But maybe couples should spend, you know, set aside time. They, you know, we always talk about relationships, set aside time to talk about how you're going to take care of the kids and how you're going to manage your businesses and how your careers and all that. Do couples set aside time to talk about their sex life and what they're going to do to enhance it and make it good well, and make I it work? Well, I think that the, I agree with that. I don't think we do. I think that either we talk about, and I do think there's couples that do. I guarantee there's couples that do because there's, I think there's couples that also set goals and have conversation about where to next in a relationship, and I think that's really healthy. You know, you said something, setting goals, because, like, your business model and helping people to run their business is that you have to have goals and you have to have a vision. Exactly. So you may have certain goals. We're going to have sex four times a week but, or three times or two times or whatever the goal is between the two. Yep. But then you have to have a vision to where you're going, where you're how you're going to achieve those goals. Exactly. And I don't think we... We don't do have that. such conversation. And I, I do think that relationship therapists or relationship coaches tend to tend to have those conversations, but not until it's too late. I mean, it would be nice to have it when things are good. You know, that's a healthy conversation. Yeah. And well, two we, business yeah, partners, have you know, if I was... Problems, part- they have all kinds of marital problems. They come to a therapist usually at the end, not at the beginning. They exactly. wait until it gets right down to the bare bones and they're ready to get a divorce or get a separation. So you're right. Catch it. I mean, I think this is this would help relationships. I mean, you talk about a stressful economy and stressful, uh, you know, all the times that we live in. If you can have a good sex life, that really helps kind of offset all this other stuff. It's true. It puts, keeps things in perspective. But those conversations, I think, are critical. And you said it best, when things are going well, like at the beginning of a relationship. You know, I always think that that whole... Oh, I'm going to get myself in trouble now, but I think seconds, that whole conversation... So you got to say it fast, my dear. What? You have 30 seconds left, so you have to say it fast. Well, it's not... You know, rather than going to a priest and getting marriage counseling from your church, go to a coach and get a vision. Go get a vision for your relationship. Go get a vision for your relationship. Go to Lauren, Catherine Sox, and Lauren <laughs> Beller Blake. We've been talking to each other and to our guests, and I hope you had a great day on VoiceAmericaVariety.com because we did. Have a good week, and we will see you next Wednesday.
hope you have enjoyed today's episode of the Catherine Zox Show. You can listen live every Thursday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America channel. Want to know more about Catherine? Visit her website at www.catherinezox.com. Be sure to join us next week for more interviews and great conversations with Catherine Zox. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.